Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song, and this week it's Don't Say You Won't. I will not say that I will not. I did not say that I will not. I won't. You willn't. I will end, as you were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. Every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. This week, it's Don't Say You Won't, which is a B-side from the Time to Waste single and track number 18 on Remains. Deep on the Remains track list. And... uh funny because i driving back from vermont with nina listened to all of remains for the first time in a long time and uh though i think it it feels a little long because it's 19 songs minus a couple extras that are on streaming and stuff yeah like live stuff uh it's a pretty good ride all the way through hard to beat um but this song Man, so much fun coming in right there at the end. Uh, And I think it's funny to think about Remains versus Self-Titled because people, I mean, Mm -hmm. a lot of people, I think, view Self-Titled as just like one of their best albums, if not their best album. I think that's not an uncommon opinion. Yeah. Um, But I think this one flows better because it's actually chronological uh, as opposed to Self-Titled, which is like kind of reverse chronological order. Yeah. And also kind of, like, mixed up and shit. Uh, And I think this is, like... I think it's always better to do it kind of chronologically when you're doing a collection. I think it just works a little better. Yeah, I can totally understand the logic for self-titled being the way that it is. Mm -hmm. Just because if you're leading with those first five tracks it's just banger after banger after mm. banger um i think that remains also it, it benefits from having a little bit more of the established like this is i mean just in the title alone it's it's remains it's uh it it, it gives it gives way to the you're coming into this pretty much a fan of this band yeah um and i do love the way remains is sequenced in that yeah hell yes is a is a great song um but the build on remains is so fucking sick just like getting up to jake on green beers and just like keeping that like peak for so long Mm -hmm. but um yeah i i do agree though like in in uh in theory that that's the way to go it tells more of a story of the band i mean i think the difference being like neither of them are collecting like that the range of years is not that big like Mm -hmm. you know self-titled is essentially three four years and remains is about five six more or less Mm. um but there's so much sonic evolution on remains that i think you really need to see how they build on what's kind of happened previously 
Like, yeah. you need to kind of see a hell yes to understand a Queen of Pain, to understand, like, the Stady, you know, like, they're, they're kind of building blocks, whereas I think self-titled is, like, you can almost put it in any order, and you're still going to have a good time. Like, I feel, Yeah, I feel like self-titled sounds like it came after um, Maybe I'll Catch Fire, even though the first four songs did not. Yeah, I mean, almost all of it doesn't really, which is like, yeah. you know, it's it's an interesting, uh, it's just an interesting kind of moment in time because, like, I think they really through Crimson were very prolific. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like, kind of all this shit is coming out within that period or like being saved around then, and then that kind of ends, you know. Um, they really had a good 10 years of like putting out a lot of material. Cause we're talking about like five full lengths to basically album length or album and a half length, co- uh, compilations. Like that's not nothing. And that's more than a lot of people put out. And, and especially like, um, I think there's just a level of quality throughout it. And like, I think, I think the only, th- I think the thing that, is really interesting is that like 97 being the closer on self-titled which makes sense it's like been Mm -hmm. kind of a set closer or like encore song for them forever essentially Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that it's the first song they ever wrote and then it's like tucked in at the end of self-titled and it's just kind of like it does feel like this big culmination i think like flipping it for them having that first and then Mm -hmm. like sundials nose over tail it's like a weird start and i think part of that is just because like the definitive version of Nose Over Tail is on God Damn It. Yeah. Sundial, Sundials is like, of the early songs, the one I have the least affection for. Mm-hmm. And I think is like the messiest. Um, yeah. So it just kind of makes sense, like lead with, put your best foot forward, uh, so to speak. And I think they do a much better job of that. Well, not a much better job, but I think I think the way they put together self-titled makes it a better listening experience. Yeah, I think also to the like, um, just the leap from even for your lungs only to a goodbye forever sonically is just like so huge. So it's more of like a gradual evolution on remains, which makes sense because there's a. I mean, the sound has been found, and. <laughs> yeah um but also like looking at remains we have like a lot of tracks but also so many different uh releases that all of these come from too which Mm -hmm. to your point just the the prolific era that we're in that we're covering on this collection is pretty wild um and then to considering like what these songs meant to you know, a hot water music split and also rock against Bush mm-hmm. and Atticus dragging the lake. Um, but yeah, I mean, Hey, we, 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 were we worried about not having, not having too much to talk about with this song in particular. We are, we are the filibuster. Truly. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about the song, which I wish it was called Please Don't Say You Won't instead of just Don't Say You Won't. Um, since yeah. I think that is, it gives it a little more character and that's what they say and that's what I always think the song is called. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I've always really liked this song, and I've always felt like this should have been on Crimson. Um, it yeah. doesn't feel like it's... I mean, there's a lot of deviations on that record from, like, you know, I Was a Prayer to fucking burn to this like i think there's a lot of like different sounds happening there and i don't feel like this is that far afield i don't think it would like leave anyone being like oh what's going on it's just literally the most i mean it's essentially a cure cover without being a cure cover is the best way to describe it like if you're familiar with the cure from like 1985 to like 1995 this is kind of what that song is yesterday got so old well i mean they they were probably thinking like we're gonna do we're gonna do a second collection at some point we already did a cure cover for the one mm-hmm. and uh depending on who you talk to that could get a little messy in theory so mm-hmm. they're they were like let's let's do something that uh might not uh make any any uh copyright lawyers ears perk up and it wasn't it it wasn't too far. I'm sure that there was some like young go getter at an office just being like, "Oh, they stole they had stolen something from that." And they look in the books and they're like, "Hey, you can't copyright three layers of that really stringy acoustic guitar sound." Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's like the thing is this like this sounds like a song that could have been on. Head on the door, or wish, or like you know, totally a, a B side single, and it's like, you know, I think that's the thing is I think Crimson kind of feels like their version of one of those late '80s Cure records where it's a lot of throwing stuff at a wall, and I like those mm-hmm. records, so that's not yeah. meant disparagingly, but like you listen to some of them, "Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me," "Wish," like there's a lot of different stuff going on, just a lot of it, and. uh mm-hmm. I it, it's always kind of been interesting to me that like that band was as popular as they were and still are given how like song to song on some of these records there's no real commonality. Um so like I love that kind of shit but I have always understood why people really wouldn't. And this song kind of feels like I don't know it's it's also just interesting because I feel like this is like the most overt Derek vocal performance on an Alkaline Trio song. Oh, yeah. It really shows how great he would be in a band of that ilk. Oh, my God, yes. And I think it's so funny, too, because his vocal, he sounds so much like Matt, too, that it's like, yeah. um, It's. I think it's one of those instances where seeing this performed live might make people say like, "Oh, whoa! I didn't even realize that." Which I think I've had, I've had situations in the past of like listening to bands and not really knowing like the layout of uh, who's singing what, and realizing that like, "Oh, you know, um, what's the second guitarist in D 4s name?" You keep looking at the ceiling. I feel like. Is something you got a bug going on in there, or am I just a blowhard? No, it's just where I look. That's where my words live. Oh, okay. <laughs> Mine are in my pockets. Um, but you know, I remember going to see D four the first time and realizing, like, oh, it's not just Eric and Patty. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Is like, I think uh, Billy is his name. I um, thought it was Billy, but that sounded that sounded too. I was like, no, it can't be Billy. 
Nobody. Well, it sounds really very little kid. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think I've always been drawn to bands that have multiple singers. It's mm-hmm. just I, I've always found that very, um, I don't know, fulfilling and exciting. And I think you get like two songwriters in one band, and that's a cool thing. Sometimes three. And I think, yeah, I think it's one of those interesting things because like you can hear on some of the earliest Alkaline Trio stuff like the demo, and I think it shows up even a little bit on 97, but I believe that's like, it might have been uh, Rob Doran doing the backing vocals on 97, like those high mm-hmm. Millhouse, like, ah! Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's Glenn. And like, if you watch old videos of them, like Glenn always has a microphone set up for him to sing and do backing vocals. And it makes sense that, like, Derek would do that, too. Like, he's very capable. If you watch, if you've seen them live, he's always kind of, like, he's got a mic there and he's jumping mm-hmm. in on the songs that need it. Um, and I think it's kind of cool. I think it's, like, I mean, his vocal talent isn't something that I know you and Brendan have discussed on uh, Road to the Skeleton Coast about, uh, you know, he was, like, 15 years old and the Misfits tried to get him to join the band when they were reforming. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. he's obviously, like... No slouch, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's he does occupy a space where it's like sometimes you. I think it's easy to be like, is that Matt doing like more pulled back thing, or is he like yeah trying to go into a different register? Because it it does sound pretty close, and I think that's what allows him to like match Matt so well and back him up so well is that you really wouldn't notice it wasn't Matt depending Mm -hmm. on how stuff's layered or mixed like you could just think it's him and that's a really strong asset to have for a band is because you're kind of pulling off a magic trick of getting like oh this person to sound fuller and bigger and like richer without like actually doubling them and i think that allows it to come across better live it's always good to have someone too that you can saw in half that is is true too hey I think that speaking of, um, you know, the, uh, like, older recordings and the sonic evolution, I think it's cool. This is, correct me if I'm wrong, the only thing that they've uh, recorded with Mass Giorgini? Yeah, I don't know how to spell say say his last name. Uh, I believe so, which is interesting for a handful of reasons, um, because... Uh, Sonic Iguana was, I believe, in West Lafayette, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's probably over an hour it's and about, a half from yeah, Chicago. Yeah, definitely. It's it's probably like two hours. Yeah. Um, and at the time, so Crimson Era, like, pretty sure Matt's living in San Francisco by Good Morning's release. Mm-hmm. Think... I don't know when when exactly Dan moves to Florida, so it's probably around there. And then Derek Dan, just just when Dan moves to Florida it sounds like a character got written off of a sitcom. <laughs> it kind of does. Um, and I think Derek was kind of the last one kicking around in Chicago, and then he moved around a bunch from there. But like, they weren't really all local to Chicago, so not only did they like decide not to use a local studio like atlas or like many of the other ones that they would could have gone Mm to they decided to drive two hours to indiana to track a couple b-sides like it's very confusing to me like i like i guess it's just what they wanted to do and maybe wanted to work with him like 
because I don't think that studio is still going, but I could be wrong. Um, I I'm not sure if it's going at this point, um, but it's it is really funny. It makes me wonder if there was um, another objective to going down and recording with him because he would probably be a really good person that they could go and like do some demos with. Yeah. Um, but it it's it is funny and interesting but uh mass if if the name doesn't ring a bell for you mass was doing a lot of a lot of chicago bands in the 90s he was in the band squirt gun um he recorded uh i think almost all of the slapstick material um smoking pops get fired I think he did some, I'm fairly certain he did some like Screeching Weasel records, maybe queer stuff. I mean, he did a lot of Mm -hmm. pop punk stuff. Like, Mishuganas. Yeah. And and like, you know, um, it's just funny because like my awareness of him can be tied directly to seeing Mallrats as a kid. And the fact there's the slapstick, or not slapstick, squirt gun song, uh, uh-huh. social in there or whatever. Yeah. And like being like, oh, that's a cool song. And then not liking any other squirt gun material, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, like he just, I mean, he did a, a lot of that kind of like 90s Chicago-ish, but just kind of like the, a lot of like Lookout Records stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he was just kind of like, he was probably very affordable because West Lafayette's pretty cheap. Um and it's like close enough to cities where like bands can roll through, probably stay there and like turn out a record for not that much money mm-hmm. um, and still have it sound pretty good. And it's just interesting that like this song is so atypical of what I would, what I think of when I think of his production. Like totally. It's a, it's a really funny pairing because, you know, Mass is, I think, something that like he's someone that you associate with the earlier era of the band. And just like that time period, and then they meet up with him, and they do something that's so lush, and it just it sounds very good. it sounds very good, and I don't mean that to be like patronizing, but it sounds like something that if this was just a song that didn't make crimson that was from the Crimson Sessions, I don't think anybody would be surprised by that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, like, looking through his credits now, and, like, yeah, there's some stuff, like, even getting into the 2000s, like, he did Underground Network by Anti-Flag, the first Rise Against record, Common Rider. Yeah, he Rider. does a lot of Anti-Flag stuff. I was really surprised when I did what you were doing, except I did it in, uh, in pre-pro. Well, I didn't expect <sighs> to go through his entire discography, but it is just funny, because, like, yeah, like, it looks like, yeah, it just kind of, I mean, he's still has credits from like 2018 2019 but it doesn't mm-hmm. it seems like he really kind of stops in the mid 2000 mid 2010s he um i i read his uh his wikipedia and he w- he went back to school he's like a doctorate in cervantes studies now which is oh. wild yeah okay fair enough uh-huh. <laughs> fair enough interesting if you want to know yeah if you want to know anything more about what uh what Don Quixote might be saying about the Spanish Inquisition, you can you can hit up Max Mass. Yes. Ma- that Mass. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh so dude, we are we are freaking rolling through this one. Um yeah, I I think that the 
the things that pop out to me in like what make this a cure like worship piece is the organ mm-hmm. and just those like vigorously layered acoustics yes. that have like almost no tone to them they're so like stringy and percussive Mm -hmm. and they just sound so so good and there's something that's like really really lovely about the bed that's created with those instruments played that way because if you listen to the strumming on them it's like 30 second notes they're hit so hard well that's the thing is it's and I think that's the interesting thing is like, I feel like even with the cure stuff, people I think don't associate them with using acoustics a lot and they do. Mm-hmm. And it's used very texturally. Mm-hmm. Um, this and a lot of cure stuff isn't a song you could just sit down with an acoustic guitar and really play through because there's so many layers going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that people would be like, Oh, it's kind of like antithetical to like what punk is or whatever. But I actually think it's kind of, in that spirit because it's like taking these instruments and like really treating them in a way that is not what you would traditionally do with them. Like this type of like acoustic guitar, like really fast strumming and like just using them almost to build, like, like you said, like percussive layers against the drum beats and like Mm -hmm. keys and organs and stuff. It's like a pretty sick move. Like it's a very distinct thing that I don't think a lot of it's never become super dominant and like, this is what you do when you're yeah, making music. Yeah, totally. Um, it, it's his ability to like find really lush, really beautiful, um, and and kind of like ornate um, songs within like uh, different like like kind of anxiousness uh like spaces and um i think i like i think of a song like in between days or a song like just like heaven where mm. those songs are so like just soaked in sadness and mm-hmm. and there's something that he can do where he just leans into it to such an extent that it's just like an alchemical reaction where it just turns into this just really really beautiful tender and super earnest thing yeah i mean i've said basically since i was a you know for like 15 years at least like it's not my favorite cure song but i to me just like heaven is like a perfect pop song if Mm. not like my favorite version of it just because it's there's so much sadness in it but it feels so good and it feels so fun and it's really like four chords just kind of like pushed in different directions and resequenced mm-hmm. from part to part where it's like it almost feels like the product of a writing exercise where it's like I can only use these tools. What can I build with it? And then it becomes this thing. And I yeah. think it does everything that like people talk about and like endlessly write about with songwriting is like, oh, well, you know, it's it sounds really happy, but it's actually really sad, you know, but like there's, I just think so much creativity in those layers and like everything in it has purpose. Like none of the instrumentation feels ostentatious or useless. 
And I think that's kind of how I view Don't Say You Won't as, as well. Like, there's nothing about this song that I would change. I also feel like Dan's lyrics kind of fit into that same thing. Like, it's for him at this time, this song feels very lyrically starkly different from everything else he was bringing to the table. Yeah, totally. It's it's like a it's like a little story. Mm-hmm. Um it's also got like I think some fantastical elements. And yeah. I think that's another aspect of of the cure that is sort of magical is is those lines that he has that just totally feel like a, a magical realism or mm-hmm. they're they're an expression of something that you know, yesterday I got so old I felt like I could die. Like, yeah, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Yeah, I mean, and I think that's in here too. Like the first mm-hmm. couple lines, you know, he's he's spinning this love song and like, but just kind of it's kind of self deprecating. It's kind of like it, it's just t- looking at a very simple moment and kind of blowing that up for the sake of the song. Yeah, and I think it's yeah, it's just one of those tracks that like. I don't know. I wish it was on an album because I feel like it being the 18th song on Remains kind of gets glossed over a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like kind of gets lost in the sauce and you don't really see those flavors bubble up to the surface. I want to chase that metaphor as far as I can. Uh, But it's it's one I uh, really like. Some garlic, some onions, a little bit of salt. You throw in your sausages. Just basically went, what i did yesterday went, went um, into clemenza mode yeah i saw the that picture on instagram i, I was making indian it. food though so it doesn't fully track um, oh okay yeah but this song i i don't know i it, it hits the boxes so well for me and that it's like you know i think compared to other stuff on remains like where they're going for something that i think is referential like they've got um is it then broken where they bring in jeff pizzotti to do the woes Mm -hmm. there's the damned cover both of which are fun but not really my favorite things there Mm -hmm. um because it it feels a little more like all right well we'll bring this in and that'll be kind of like the fun trick and this just feels like oh we like actually mastered doing this thing Uh, yeah totally and i i think a point worth worth making too is just like looking at the lyrics and just like seeing this song that's like uh the chorus is like don't say you're not gonna come out and hang today Mm. like that's the whole that's the whole deal with the song is and and you look at like other songs from around this era and they're just so like you know heavy it's like everything is is centered around something that feels enormous and Mm -hmm. here's one that's just like man if you don't hang out with me today then what the heck am i gonna do i'm just gonna sit at this mall and like people watch that's not gonna be very fun yeah i mean it's it's so playful in Mm -hmm. a way that like they just kind of i don't want to say they weren't on crimson because there are definitely examples of it but like they really aren't moving forward um for a while um and you know, I think this also hits probably it's more focused towards a younger person because like by this point, like, you know, Matt, I think, is married. Dan, Derek's married. Dan is probably about to be like 
And a lot of dance songs are really about that, are like these really like serious love songs. And I think this has like the energy of like go plug in your electric blanket or whatever, like, Mm -hmm. but in a different context of like just wanting to hang out with this person, wanting something very simple and like not in like, you know, that kind of like early, like, it's almost like she took him to the lake kind of what he's getting at message from Mm -hmm. Kathleen. It's, it's that type of Dan mode that really only exists in a handful of songs. And like, it's interesting that that is one of them that like this track kind of expresses that same, like very simple, I think honest and pure and like respectful desire to be around somebody. And that's cool. And like kind of a rare thing to show up in songs. And I, I always appreciate it when it does. What do you rate it? I'm going big. This one gets a four and a half from me. Yeah. I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say a three and a half. Um, I think that there's, uh, I, I see where you're at with that, with that four and a half. I mean, it's just, I can't think of another song in their catalog that does this. I don't think it's perfect. Mm -hmm. I was debating a four because I feel like that's more honest, but I think, you know, my personal feelings about the song are that, like, it's one that, unlike a lot of their other tracks, because I know the catalog very well, like, this is one that I can still kind of, like, have come up on Remains or, like, randomly think about, and it still feels like a new experience to me, mm. where I feel like there's still layers I can kind of pull back with it, whereas a lot of the other ones I just know too well. So this is, like, one of the last songs where I'm like, I get to have a lot of fun just, like occasionally rediscovering this track and for that reason i I pushed it up yeah i think that the reason that i didn't go with a four is because i think that there are times where i hear it like it's brand new and there are times where i hear it and it just bounces off of me and it might be a product of like its placement on remains mm-hmm. and maybe it wouldn't if it had been given a better shot maybe if it was on crimson i'd feel a little bit differently but uh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with my three and a half and legitimately that's probably where that song should sit generally <laughs> like yeah, kind yeah. of i think like objectively but subjectively it's much higher for me just because it's it's one that brings me a lot of joy, and it's it's one of those songs in, that I hear, and then I'm like, man, I really wish they would have tried some more of this. But they didn't, and it's probably better for it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 good that um that Dan's the one that that leaned into it because yes, uh, that should go <laughs> that should be said uh, vociferously. <laughs> Uh, as you were a podcast about Alkaline Trio, every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. This week we talked about, please, parentheses, please, don't say you won't. I also just think it should have that because I I like it being like a Cure sounding song with a minor Smiths reference as a title. I think that would be kind of funny. <laughs> please, uh, please, please, don't say you won't. Yes. Uh, this is our podcast. Uh, we call it as you were a podcast about alkaline trio because it's a podcast about alkaline trio his name is david my name is tim we are two friends we have a patreon patreon.com slash as you were we let people vote on the songs that we talk about which is what will be happening for next week and we do some other long form stuff in there we also just sent out some very dope 
uh, custom printed notebooks. Looked very killer. Uh, and when we say custom printed, we need to, I want to draw the distinction, printed by Tim himself. So that's as handmade as you're going to get from from a podcast, probably. Linoleum block print, baby! Uh you can go over there and uh, pledge to help us uh, keep on doing this the way that we do. Either way, we'll be back next week, and we look forward to it. We will see you then. Thank you for listening.